today we get to look at reaching your local community and Rob will be sharing with us. So you met Rob briefly yesterday. Uh, I just want you to know two things about Rob. One is that he has actually got a different t-shirt on to the one that he was wearing yesterday. It is. I know that he's got a collection of stripy t-shirts. Maybe tomorrow you'll wear something that isn't a stripy t-shirt. It's got, this one's got a lemon on. Yesterday's one didn't have a lemon on it. Um, and the other thing I want you to know about Rob is that it's his wedding anniversary today. And on his wedding anniversary, instead of taking his beautiful wife, Christine, out for a, a beautiful day out and a nice romantic meal in the evening, he is coming here to share something of the word of God with us. That's exciting, isn't it? I think I said yesterday that Rob leads um, now, let me get it right, Attleboro, no, community, ch- oh, tell me what it is, <laughs> Christ Community Church in Attleboro. Did I get that right? And um, all the time that I've known Rob for the last five years, that's what he's done. He's led a church. And I am learning that leading a church requires the most incredible skill set. You have to be a teacher. You have to be able to be a pastor. You have to be able to bring vision. You have to be able to lead yourself and lead others. And Rob does all of that in bucket loads. And every time he speaks... I really learn stuff. So I want to encourage you just to listen, to receive and see what he has got to bring for us today. Thanks, Jazz. Um, So I'm Rob. As Jazz said, I lead Christ Community Church. Um, My story of how I got... um, to know Jesus is that I grew up in church. I was a church kid. I was taken to church twice on a Sunday. My dad was um, uh, one of the leaders of a Baptist church. But if I'm being really honest, I was totally embarrassed about Christianity. I remember being at school when they'd ask, like, if you went to church and in like RE lessons, get you to put up your hands. And I would go like bright red. I would feel so embarrassed of being a Christian. And I also was quite skeptical. Um, when I was growing up of whether it was really true and I remember my parents when I was about 13 took me to a camp and I heard someone explain the evidence for the Christian faith and I remember um, it was a really helpful series of talks but I remember getting to the end of that week and being kind of annoyed because I'd been convinced that Christianity was actually true but I still thought it was really embarrassing so I decided even though I knew that it was true I did not want to become a Christian. So I had this kind of weird year where every time I'd go to church and someone would preach the gospel, even if they did it really badly, I would, I would feel really convicted. I need to become a Christian. And I remember I used to hate worship times because the worship songs would have these words and I'd want to sing them, but I knew that I didn't want to be a Christian yet. And so I had this kind of like conflict in worship times. And I remember it all kind of came to a head when my brother got baptized because I remember thinking, oh, this is terrible. This means he's become a Christian, which means I'm going to have to think about it again. And I remember being in his baptism service and feeling so uncomfortable. I, I was next to his non-Christian friend and we had like some sheets that, with the words on them um, that, we, we, we were hold, that I was meant to be holding the sheet. And I remember just shaking. 
And we weren't the kind of church where people shook. And I remember thinking, like, what's wrong with me? I'm shaking at my brother's baptism. And he, and my brother's non-Christian mate had to take the, the, hit the sheet from me. And I remember going bright red and thinking, this is so embarrassing. And I remember getting out of my brother's baptism service thinking, phew, I'm still not a Christian. But then the next day, we had a praise party in someone's, in someone's back garden. And um, it was awful because the worship was excellent. And, and, you know, the songs were like really good. And then we sung this song and the words of it were, I don't know why, I can't see how, your precious blood could cleanse me now. And all this time, I've lived a lie with no excuse, no alibi. And all I know is I find mercy, all my shame you take from me, all I know your cross has power and the blood you shed cleanses me. And it was like the words of that song were like the final wound. Um, because I knew, especially that line, all this time I've lived a lie with no excuse, no alibi. I knew that I had no excuse not to be a Christian. I knew it was actually true. But, and, and I, I remember I went home and I didn't pray the prayer that you're meant to pray in the back of the Why Jesus booklet by Nikki Gumbel. I just went home and I said something like this to God. God, I give up trying not to be a Christian. I, I give in. Okay. And that's how, that's how my journey began. And I am now lead this church, but I also lead an initiative called Who Cares? And you can find out a little bit more about Who Cares. Did anyone get involved in Who Cares in 2014 at New Day? Is anyone here who got involved? So some of you know a little bit about it, um, which is all about mobilizing the church to reach people. And today, really, I'm talking about how do we reach people that we don't know um, with the gospel, but people that are in our community. And I really want to start kind of go back to the beginning and kind of take you on a journey because I've gone on a journey of learning. I'm 35 now, but I became a Christian in my early teens. I've gone on a journey of learning about this and I kind of want to take you through kind of almost like the stages that I went through because I didn't start the moment I became a Christian make an impact on my local community. And I'm kind of like, in a way, I'm going to give you six points, but I could also say this is like the story of my life and how these things happened. So it's kind of a, a, a journey that I've gone on myself. So number, I'm going to give you six points. So if you're making notes, we're going to go on a journey through six points. And we're really going to land on what the topic is in terms of reaching out on the last point. But the other points are really important to get there. So number one, cultivate a heart for God's glory. So for me, my journey in any kind of reaching out mission, evangelism, whatever you call it, began in my bedroom. And it began in my bedroom with me listening to Christian worship music, putting my hands in the air, shutting my eyes and mouthing along to the words because I didn't want my parents who were next door to hear what was happening and enjoying the presence of Jesus. And I felt in that room God's love for me in a profound way. And I just enjoyed things in songs. I had old, there was something called Stonely Bible Week, which was like the years ago, like before New Day. And I didn't, I'd never been there, but I had the CDs. And I used to like, I used to listen just to the worship music. And I just used to enjoy Jesus on my own. And I can honestly tell you that it was in that moment of worshipping him on my own in my bedroom that my journey in evangelism began. Because it was in that moment of experiencing his joy and his love for me that I thought, There's loads of people that I know that don't know the love and the joy that I'm experiencing right now. And so it's there's this connection between worship and evangelism. And and some some of you might already be feeling it. Like you're at New Day and you're worshipping and 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 then suddenly the thoughts dropping into your head, like this is amazing, I'm singing so well I and you were loving that time of worship, and you're thinking like, but there are other people out there who don't know this. And it's like suddenly 
something starts to grow and God starts to put in your heart a heart for his glory. There's a real danger that our motivation for reaching people is our own glory or fulfillment rather than God's glory. And that the success of the and and the success of the mission itself, it's actually quite easy to do the right things for the wrong reasons. To be really honest with you, like uh, for many years, my my one of my dreams was that I wanted to be a famous worship leader. I wanted to be Simon Brading or Matt Redman or Tim Hughes. Like I wanted to, I wanted to write amazing worship songs. I wanted to I wanted to stand on one of those stages and 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 lead people in worship and they'd be singing my, my songs and I, I wanted to write songs that that people would sing all over the country and they'd be my songs and that's not good is it do you get it like like my heart for it wasn't for God's glory there was there's was, there's was like a bit of me in it now it's, it's it's a great thing to want to lead worship isn't it but my motive wasn't right and Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 10 if we are still trying to please if I was still trying to please people I would not be a servant of God and um, we should reach our communities and we should reach the people that we don't know with the gospel because we want Jesus to be glorified and because we want sinners to be saved that is all that really matters what our role is doesn't really matter as long as Jesus gets the glory and lost sinners are saved, then we should be ridiculously happy. And I remember once I was speaking at a youth kind of event and a number of young people had given their lives to Jesus. And it was amazing. And I was so excited. And then the next day or a couple of days after, I met a much more senior church leader, an older man. And I said to him, what had happened and he started to cry and at first I didn't realize why he was crying but I realized he was crying because of what I told him and he said Rob that's just so wonderful news that's just such wonderful news and it really kind of took me back I kind of thought hang on a minute like I was I was there and I was the and I was the one kind of sharing the gospel and these guys responded and I haven't cried about it for joy. You don't even know them. You weren't even involved. But you cried for joy about it. And it really challenged me because I, th- I, I, I was really, it really spoke to me because I thought, wow, you, you really care. You really care. Like you really care that lost people become Christians. You really care that Jesus is glorified. Regardless of what your role was in it, you just so passionate about it and it so turns out that that person um, led one of the largest churches in the UK God trusted him and he had a a genuine heart for the lost and um, I've got this description for you of like what it means to have true zeal I love it it's um, from a a guy called JC Ryle and he says this a zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets the blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and advance God's glory. 
Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal. If he cannot preach, work, and give money, he will cry and sigh and pray. If he cannot fight in the valley with Joshua, he will do the work of Moses, Aaron, and Hur on the hill. If he is cut off from working himself, he will give the Lord no rest till help is raised up from another quarter and the work is done. That is what I mean when I speak of zeal. So the first step in terms of making any difference is really to cultivate a heart for God's glory and really let him give you a heart for him to be glorified and not worry so much about what your role is going to be, but care more about the mission and the need and the glory of God. So that's number one. Number two, get a vision for true greatness. Jesus redefined true greatness as servanthood. In Mark 9 verse 35, he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Your life has two kinds of audiences. One is human people. So there are other people seeing the things that you do for Jesus and they'll be in church, they'll be outside of the church. That You'll get people looking on, maybe through social media or whatever. Like there's, You've got an audience, haven't you? You've got a group of people that watch you. And sometimes they will think what you're doing is amazing. Um, certainly you're in the church, like if you do something good, people will encourage you. Um, but you also have a different audience that's not that not human people on earth. There's another audience watching your life, and it's made up of... Um, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, angels, and all the Christians in heaven. And they're all watching your life. And what's so interesting is that sometimes you can be doing something for God. And, you know, you can get quite a lot of encouragement from people. But heaven looks on pretty unimpressed. And other times you can be doing something and no one else sees. Or even the people that see give you no encouragement, no praise whatsoever. And heaven is going nuts because they're so excited about what you're doing. And what gets heaven excited is true greatness. Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. When, when you serve, especially when no one is watching, to get no one's praise, for, there's, there's no audience but heaven is watching. Your father in heaven is watching. And what, one of the things that you've got to learn if you're going to make a difference in your community is to, is to tune into the right audience and feel the father's pleasure when you do the, when you do the thing that's truly great. Have, have you got a vision for your life that's, that's about true greatness? That's what Jesus has redefined for us. Be a servant. Be somebody who's not concerned about what people think but what your father in heaven thinks and just is willing to get stuck in and willing to go low. So that's step number two. Get a vision for true greatness and learn to feel the father's pleasure over you when you're doing something even if no one is praising you. And then third step, get your joy from the right thing. Jesus also reminded us not to get our joy from our ministry success. So in Luke 10, he sent 72 disciples on a mission to tell people the gospel, heal the sick and set people free. And it says that they returned with joy and said, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus responds, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't get your joy from your power or your gifting. Get your joy from your salvation. You know, there is a book 
in heaven. And I wish that somehow in this moment, I could take you to heaven and we could see it. And you will find that there is a book in heaven and it's full of names. And in it, if you love and trust Jesus, is your name. There's a book in heaven with your name in it. How cool is that? And get your joy from that. Not from your ministry success. Don't think, I need to do this so that I can be happy. Don't think, I need to do this so that I can be satisfied. Get your joy. Jesus is remi- was reminding his disciples after they'd had some success that, that the joy comes from our salvation. And so I just encourage you, when you actually, some of you are going to see God do amazing things through you in your community. And when that happens, and when people start to really praise you, I, I want to encourage you to whisper under your breath, this is not my joy. My joy is that my name is written in heaven and I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus. That is the most amazing thing. So get your joy from the, the right thing. The, okay, fourth step. And this is an important one. Offer yourselves to God for his purposes. I'm really talking about surrendering here. So let me read to you two scriptures. Romans 6 verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Romans 12 verse 1 says a similar thing in a different way. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, on account of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So when it comes to making a difference in our community and when it comes to any kind of outreach and mission, we're not asking God to help us with our agenda. It's not the case that it's like, God, um, I really care about this. Um, Could you please assist me so that I can achieve my goals for our community? It's not how it works, is it? It's totally different. It's that we're offering ourselves to be used by him for whatever he wants to do. Our God is determined to bless the nations of the world. And he is recruiting people for his mission and for his purpose. And the key question then that we ask ourselves is, are we willing to go wherever he sends? And are we willing to do whatever he asks? There's very little point in trying to do something for God if you haven't truly offered yourself and surrendered your life to him. As it said in Romans 6 verse 13, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. There's this old song that I like to use um, to help me say, do this before God and it's called Take My Life. And, I, and, I, and sometimes I, I just say these words to God, I don't sing it. And it goes like this, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take my moments and my days let them flow in ceaseless praise take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee take my voice and let me sing always only for my king take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee 
Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord I pour, at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Offer Jesus everything you have. And when you do that, you will find it may surprise you what happens next. Firstly, many people, when they offer themselves to God, are just surprised at how free and filled with utter joy they are. You like, we can feel terrified of surrendering to God. And then when we do, we realize there's this liberty and there's this joy. I, uh, we've got a member of our family who truly surrendered to God a couple of days before they died. They'd lived a Christian, in, in, they'd lived in a church for many years. And um, they, they, we sort of sing these songs that say things like, I surrender all, I surrender all. And this guy was French, and he's a member of our family. And he said, I always used to sing that um I always used to sing that song, and the French expression is is a, is different. It's, for us, it would be more like through gritted teeth. But I think it was like through the tip of my tongue. But basically, he was saying, I, I always used to sing that song and not really mean it. I always used to hold back from really meaning it. But when he was sick and dying on his bed, that song, I Surrender All, came back to him. And he said, for the first time in my life, I actually meant the words. And the Holy Spirit visited my bed, my room that evening and I was filled with incredible joy and that was one of the last things that he ever said before he died but I kind of thought when I heard that story that's amazing but but I so wish that I don't wait until I'm on my deathbed to really surrender all to Jesus I, I hope and I hope for us as a, a new guys at this generation that we can really mean it and God knows when we really mean it you can't fake it. It's a decision. Will you surrender everything to Jesus? And I think the other thing that you might find is when you do this, that what Jesus says to you might surprise you. Because you might be terrified that he's going to do something horrible to your life. You know, like he might send me to, to my death in Iran or something. Like, and, and maybe he will. But he doesn't, he doesn't you, you just don't, you can't predict what he's going to say until you surrender. And sometimes God doesn't tell you what he wants to do with your life until you just say, God, I trust you, whatever you want to do with me. And God doesn't want to bring about your ruin. He wants to release you for joy and purpose. I remember um, uh, Sandy Miller, who used to re- lead a church called HTB in London, where the Alpha courses come from. And he talks about walking on the beach in California when he had had an amazing time at a conference and he was he was listing off to God all the things that he could do for God he was surrendering he was saying God I I could do this I could do this what do you want me to do Lord and he felt God say to him Sandy all I want is you and he was like whoa is that all well Lord you can have that and so you never know what the Lord might say until you actually surrender. So that's the fourth step. Offer yourself to God for his purpose. Surrender to him. Step number five, um, 
And this might sound a bit counterintuitive because we're talking about how do we reach people in the community and outside of the church. But number five, prioritize the local church. Paul teaches a very important principle in Galatians 6 verse 10. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul is saying our first priority is not to lost sinners, but to our church family. Now that seems totally counterintuitive. And I mean, I've, I've had a passion for evangelism for a long time. And I've often had this sense of like, oh, the church people are annoying. Like they're in. Like, we don't need to worry about them. Like, they're going to heaven. It's the people who aren't going to heaven that really matter. So, like, they can sort themselves out, but I need to go over here to where the lost people are. And that's kind of wrong-headed because... Uh, but it seems to make sense, doesn't it, on the face of it. But it makes sense that we should prioritize our church family when we realize that the way that God has decided that we will reach and change society is by becoming an alternative society. We're meant to set the new normal of how life is meant to be lived. People need to see the Bible fleshed out in real life to see firsthand the difference that Jesus can make. And if our own house as the church isn't in order, we really have nothing to offer the world. We can offer them a ticket to heaven, but we can't help them live a transformed life if the house, if the house isn't right. Now, some people have naively thought if we just do an, an amazing mission or do some amazing evangelism in our town, hundreds of people will get saved, job done. But realistically, if 100 people got saved right now and became Christians through your local church community, the likelihood is, is that your church wouldn't, and your youth group wouldn't cope. They wouldn't, those people wouldn't get discipled, and in a few years, many of them would disappear. So we've seen this played out in history uh, over the years many times. So in Norwich, just down the road, in the 1980s, there was this massive mission where loads of young people came. And 800 young people responded to the gospel. It was incredible. And some of those young people are leading churches now. It was an amazing move of God. But there was kind of a tragic element to what happened because so many of those 800 young people did not get connected to a local church. They had nowhere to go. And one of the reasons was what was happening in those meetings was amazing but what was happening in the local church is at that time, a lot of them was not amazing. And the, the young people that got saved loved those meetings, but they didn't love the local church because it was totally different. And Terry Virgo, the founder of New Frontiers, talks about inviting all of his friends to church. And they all came. And none of them ever wanted to come ever again. Because, and he realized in that moment that that if we're going to reach people with the gospel, the church needs to change. So if we're going to really reach people, the church needs to keep changing. And we need to all play our part in helping the church be everything that God intended her to be. So just to illustrate this point briefly as well, do you know that it's so interesting the focus of prayers in the New Testament are not on the world but on the church? If you've read the Bible like the New Testament through, you might have noticed that. There aren't really very many prayers at all directly for non-Christians. That's not to say we shouldn't pray for non-Christians. Of course we should. But it's so interesting that the focus of prayers in the New Testament is on the church and not the world. So in John 17 is Jesus's longest recorded prayer. And he says in verse 9, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. 
the person in the Bible who has the most number of recorded prayers is Paul. Um, we see the same principle worked out. We have about 40 of his recorded prayers, take, give or take, and yet only two of those prayers are directly for unbelievers. When Paul asks for prayer because he's preaching the gospel, it may fascinate you that he never once asks them to pray for his hearers. Instead, he asks them to pray things like, pray that I may proclaim the gospel clearly, pray that words may be given to me. The feel is very much, Lord, please do something in me that will bless the world. Help me so that I can help them. Help the church be all she can be so that we can reach the nations. It's not saying that God, what I'm saying here is not that God doesn't care about the loss or care about the world. Of course, that's hugely wrong. But it's just the question of our approach. If we want to reach the world, like the priority is the local church first before the world, because it's through the church that we reach the world. It's a question of our approach. If we want to see the world changed, then our prayers should be for the church to be holy and radiant and united when the church is what she's meant to be it's an incredible thing to behold it's a bit like rousing a giant you know like i don't know if you've ever seen one of those movies where that that they have like some of the narnia films like the the giants like come out you know like it's that when what we're praying for it's like we're in this epic battle but what we really need is the giant to awake we need the church of jesus christ to rise up and and awake and we can do that in our prayers and i want you to there's also this principle that being trusted with more so that when you carry the responsibilities that you already have well god trusts you with more and the church is a little bit like a testing ground so in your church you have probably already been trusted with some people from your community they're probably already in your church or in your church youth group even And really, I'd say start by helping them. Start by loving them. Start by encouraging them really well. And when you do that, God will start to trust you with more people from your community. I want you guys to realize that you can have an incredibly significant impact on your local church. And through your local church, you can have an incredibly big impact on your community. And I want to give you just eight simple ways that you can do this bit before we talk about actually serving our community so number one um, ask your church leaders how can i help and tell them about your passions so find the elders in your church and actually talk to them don't just go to your youth leaders about your passions and your dreams go go to your church leader and say can i talk to you about some of the things that i feel really passionate about can i can you tell me how can i help in the church secondly welcome new young people I've already said God is probably already sending people from your community into your church. Some, some of them are probably here right now on site at New Day. And I, on a really simple level, be really friendly. Like have an eye for the new person. You know like how groups form in social situations and the new person is often just kind of standing awkwardly at the side. Be the person that spots that, goes over to the new person and kind of draws them into whatever's happening third thing find a place to serve in your church and serve with all your heart i would say do a really good job with one thing rather than trying to do loads of things and getting over like get coming back from new day and want to do everything in the church just pick some things that you think i'm gifted in that i think i I think i could make a difference there and just do a really really good job don't overcommit, but just do a really good job serve with all your heart in something and if, if you're not doing that already do that in your local church 
Um, number four, appreciate other people's gifts. Like you're gonna, you, we all need each other. And sometimes we do this thing called like gift projection, where we, um, we, we expect everyone else to be like us. We're gifted and we're wired in a certain way and we get really frustrated when other people aren't like us. Um, so if we're passionate and gifted in worship, we expect others to be um, like that and we get frustrated when they aren't. Or if we're passionate and gifted in evangelism, we expect other people to be like that and we get kind of frustrated, maybe even angry when other people aren't like that. And I would say like, learn to appreciate the gift in other people, even if they're not like you, you need them. And then tip number five for how to be fruitful in the context of your local church, and this is quite important, is be loyal. Um, People won't trust you with more if you badmouth other people or leaders. Um, You know, if you've got an issue with someone, make sure, or you're not happy with how something's happening in your church, make sure that you go directly to the person rather than going sideways with, with, with it and moaning to, about it with someone else. Like in life, there's just this kind of principle in the kingdom of God that it's very rare that disloyal people make a lasting positive difference. Like be loyal, be unfailingly loyal, be gracious, like say exactly what you mean. And if you're not happy about something, like be really honest about that, but make sure you're doing that with the right, having that, that the person that you're having that conversation with um, is the right person. So now we're ready to move on to point six, which is simply do good to your local community. And I want to just talk to you about how you can do this. Paul tells us to do good to all people. Jesus told us to preach the gospel to all creation. So let's assume that you've, you've you, like points one to five are kind of in order. Okay, you've, you've surrendered to Jesus. You've cultivated a heart for God's glory. Um, you're a loyal servant-hearted member of your local church. Let's assume that that, that stuff is in place. You've got all the foundations in place to start reaching your community how, how do you go about it? How do you reach people that you don't know with the gospel? Jazz talked about friends, but how do we reach out to those people around us? And on a really simple level, you need to understand that there are two basic approaches to this. One is that you start by meeting people's practical needs, and then off the back of meeting people's practical needs, you start to meet their spiritual needs. The other approach is that you befriend people or invite people or get to know people or do some kind of outreach where you start by meeting their spiritual needs and then as you get to know them you will probably end up helping them with their practical needs and I'm going to talk about there are loads of different models for doing that and we're going to talk about what those are but I want to give you some top tips how many have I got I've got one I've got six things for you to do to make it start to make a difference in your local community. Number one, find a teammate. Find someone that God has given the same heart to. God loves team. It's like his character. He's a team, father, spirit, and son. And Deuteronomy 32 verse 30 talks about, it says, how can one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? And it's really saying like, with the Lord's help, did you spot the math there? One person can chase a thousand, two people can chase 10,000. So it's the maths of Deuteronomy 32 verse 20 is that your life can make 10 times more difference if you do it with, if you, if you've got a teammate. 
So pray about this. Like for me, one of the first things that, that things that happened with me was I just started praying, God, would you send me someone who's got the same heart as me to reach out to those in my sixth form college um, and my school with the gospel? And sure enough, over a bit of time and a bit of waiting, someone else came along and we teamed up and she was a close friend and we started doing evangelism um, together. So first thing, find a teammate. Um, Secondly, get some heroes. So I would really encourage you, we've got a bookstore here, read some stories of people who've gone before you. Read some stories of people who've made a difference with their lives for the gospel. Um, There is something really impacting about reading great biographies. Or even better, if you can find living people who God is already using powerfully in the area that God is putting on your heart, learn from them, go and meet them and listen to their story. I mean, I remember traveling to all kinds of strange places because I just wanted to meet people who were evangelistically gifted, who I didn't know. And I just went to see them and asked them loads of questions. And you just catch something when you're around people who are doing it. So that was number two, get some heroes. Thirdly, get close to the needs and see what happens so i would say like don't wait for inspiration and a fully blown plan before you do anything like don't think right i've got to come up with a plan about how i'm going to reach people i don't know with the gospel or reach my community or reach my people in my school don't like don't wait for a a, a really fully formed plan before you really do anything i would say get proximate to the needs get close to the needs and see what happens. Get among the people that you want to reach and serve. So if God is giving you a heart for the poor, just find a way to go and get near them. If God is giving you a heart for your, you know, for different people in your school, get to know those people. If God is giving you a heart for um, just street work, just start to get out there and see what happens start to get a feel for what's going on go go to the places and pray you know like go to cafes and pray just get close to the needs and and see what happens fourth principle i would say is learn from existing approaches so i talked about how there were two basic approaches to reaching people one is where you start with meeting people's practical needs and there are some great approaches out there there are things like christians um, against poverty which is starting by you know like helping people in a practical way there are things like food banks um and uh, you learn from those kind of models there's also alpha some of you have probably already done like youth alpha there's also christianity explored like in terms of street work at new day we've often trained people to do something like the miracle question um look that up and see what that is um and then also we do things like who cares and what i'd say to you is um use existing approaches like get to know them because what you find is that these approaches to doing outreach and mission have kind of like an inbuilt wisdom and um there's kind of like a tried and testedness about them like they've literally repeated doing the same thing like hundreds maybe thousands of times and every time they've done it in their approach they've they've like sharpened how they do things and so what i would say is like really humbly learn from the existing models and approaches that are out there don't feel like you've got to make up something from scratch don't feel like you've got to make up a course or you've got to make up a street outreach technique or you've got to make up a way to do it there's already ways out there and i would say to start with just start humbly using those things and learn from them and don't try and change it before you've really tried to do it properly 
Um, step number five, really important for you guys, but I just really encourage you, develop your listening skills. So learn to be really fascinated in other people. Other people are so interesting. And like spending time with people who don't know Jesus and just like asking them about what they believe and why and just listening is such an interesting experience. Like it's fascinating. And what's a really interesting thing is finding out why they wouldn't consider Christianity for themselves. Like what are their objections? And learn to ask those questions in a way where resist the urge to be like defensive. You know, like sometimes someone says, oh, I could never be a Christian because I hate what Christians believe about And at that moment, we can kind of feel like an energy in us that we need to say something to kind of put them right. Um, But don't do that. Just listen and kind of draw them out a bit more and try and talk to them about what are the things you find repellent about Christianity and what are the things that you find attractive. Like those questions, those conversations, and I would say a great conversation with a non-Christian is often a lot more useful than a book. So I've encouraged you to read biographies, but I would say you would get even more from, in, you would learn even more stuff from really reading people's lives. And so like, if you've ever done like street work at New Day, one of the things that we find so interesting is like, you just have these conversations with people where they might just really open up to you about what's going on in their lives. You like, I would say like, like that's a really important part of your, of how you're going to grow and how God is going to shape you, is often you're going to find yourself discipled by a conversation. Somebody else who's not a Christian is going to say things to you that are going to be really significant. So learn, develop your listening skills. Learn to be fascinated with others. Church context is good practice because they're not strangers. So go up to someone you don't even know at church and just be friendly and try and get to know them and find out their story. So start there if you've never done it with a non-Christian, but then start to do that in other places. And then point number six Ask God to teach you the value of a soul. So there's a prayer that John Wesley used to pray. And John Wesley was an amazing man used by God to bring really, he was involved in a massive revival that really changed our nation. But one of the prayers that he used to pray was, God, teach us a value, the value of a soul. God, would you, would you show us how much lost people matter to you? That's a very good prayer. And I'd encourage you to make that prayer your own. So those are my six points. And really, that's the journey that I went on. For me, like, I'm now in a place where I can see that God is using our church in a way to reach our community. And I can see that God is using Who Cares in, to reach communities all in different parts of the UK. But that, that was a journey that began, at, you know, that, that began in my bedroom, worshipping Jesus, and, and now I'm here. And really, I could say those six steps. The one I've missed out is reaching out to my friends, which really was what Jazz talked about. Um, and I would say start with your friends before you kind of go full-blown into trying to reach your community. Start with the people that God is already trusting with you with. And it's different with them. And Jazz gave some really wise principles. It's different with them than it is with the community. But st- but do make sure that you go there first. So I'd just like to pray for us, and then Jazz is going to really lead us in a time of response. But should we just um, should we just pray? Father God, we want to thank you that you are recruiting us this week for an amazing purpose, and that you're determined to bless the nations of the world, and that you want us to help you and serve you for such a great and glorious mission.
And I just want to pray for these young people today that you would help them tune in to the sound of heaven, to the perspective of heaven, to, to what you think and what the angels think when, when they're serving you. I want to pray for these guys that they would learn to drown out the voice of the world and the peop- even the people in the church that encourage them and, and, and really just tune into your pleasure over the things that they're doing to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.